News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. In Texas, the case of James Younger pointed to a disturbing trend in the treatment of gender-confused youth. His mother pulling him by one arm, his father pulling him by the other. Seven-year-old James Younger, dressed in a skirt, looks distressed and confused. His mom, Anne Georgeless, wins the struggle, rests him on her hip. His dad, Jeffrey Younger, calls 911. Why? asks James. She was supposed to give me custody, his father replies. A video recording of this incident, which occurred on March 8, 2018, at James Elementary School's open house, was played before a jury in Texas just last month. It is a larger symbol of how children such as James Younger have become pawns in the transgender debate. The Younger case has gained much media attention. In the U.S. and beyond, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the BBC all seem to cast the father as the villain, in particular for his refusal to agree that his child is transgender. Rolling Stone opines that the Younger story has become a terrifying right-wing talking point. Vox is worried about Republican state legislators trying to introduce bills prohibiting chemical and surgical interference with the sexual development of children who say they're transgender. And what this could mean for families nationwide. When legislators want to have a say in whether Luna Younger should be allowed to socially transition. For the left, the younger story is a tale of backwards attitudes victimizing a child. In truth, it's progressive attitudes that are victimizing the child. The James and James Younger is not an outlier. There are many more just like him, and some in even more dire straits. For years, the medical and legal establishments have been ignoring evidence and bending their standards to please transgender activists, some of whom are clinicians. There are three clinical approaches to helping children who exhibit symptoms of gender confusion. One involves a range of talk therapies and psychotherapies to address suspected underlying causes. A second, called watchful waiting, allows the child's development to unfold as it will, which may mean that he chooses to transition later or not at all. Then there's a third option, informed by an ideology according to which it is possible for a child to be born in the wrong body. In this option, clinical activists recommend a drastic response when a child expresses confusion about gender. First, parents should tell the child, however young, that he truly is the sex he identifies with. Second, parents should consider delaying his puberty through off-label uses of drugs that can have serious and largely unstudied side effects. Third, parents should consider giving their child the puberty experience of the opposite sex through cross-sex hormonal injections and gels, which result in sterility. Finally, parents should consider greenlighting the surgical removal of their child's reproductive organs. Since there are no objective tests to confirm a transgender diagnosis, all of this is arbitrary and dependent on a child's changeable feelings. To make aggressive treatment more acceptable, its advocates have come up with a media-friendly euphemism, gender affirmation. 
If it's affirming, activists say it's also kindness, love, acceptance, and support. The opposite, trying to help a child feel more comfortable with his body, is a rejection, abuse, hatred, transphobia, or conversion therapy, likely to lead to child suicide. This is a lie, a lie designed to obscure a critical truth that neither a child nor his parents on his behalf can truly consent to experimental, life-altering, and irreversible treatments for which there is no evidentiary support. Hours before the incident at James James's elementary school open house, George Liss had emailed her ex-husband Younger, whose day it was to have custody of James and his fraternal twin, Jude. She had said that she would bring James to school as Luna, since that's what everyone there knew him as. I understand that you believe you are truly doing the best thing for your child, Georgeless wrote, but in the same way, a little boy with his penis removed is still a little boy. A little girl who, ha- who was born with a penis is still a little girl in her brain. In October 2016, the court had established a standard possession order in which it was decided that the boys would live with Georgeless, but that Younger would have custody and access rights. Especially on weekends, especially on weekends, the order also gave Georgeless the exclusive right after notifying Younger to allow medical and surgical treatments involving invasive procedures, as well as psycho. Uh, psychiatric and psychological treatment and education. Georgeless claims that James chose the name Luna after communicating a desire to be a girl at a young age by showing a preference for female pronouns and Disney princesses. Younger insists that James' transgender status is contrived and he possesses a video of James at age three saying that mommy told him he was a girl. He further believes that Georgeless is unhinged and intent on vengeance disregarding James's well-being. In an email dated August 5th, 2017, with the subject line, Heads Up, George Liss wrote to Younger to explain that Luna, yes, I will refer to her that way because that is what she wants to be called at my house, has decided to tell you she has a girl brain and a boy body and that she is transgender. She explained that they had been reading I Am Jazz as well as My Princess Boy, and that in these books, although other people are occasionally mean or confused, the parents are affirming. During the trial this October, Younger was asking the court to appoint him sole managing conservator, which would give him executive rights to the boys, medical and psychological care. Georgeless was asking it to restrict possession and access for Younger and to enjoin him from treating James as a boy. But she was not asking to be sole managing conservator, although the jury decided overwhelmingly against Younger by 11 to 1, having heard the recommendations of custody evaluator Benjamin Albritton, a psychologist, the judge decided not to grant Georgeless a request to be the single conservator. Judge Chim Uh, Judge Kim Cooks decided that the parents would have joint rights on all medical and psychological decisions, increased Younger's possession rights, and denied Georgeless's petition to enjoin Younger from treating James as a boy. Cooks relied on the United States Constitution in her decision, specifically on the due process rights, and this is in quotations, afforded by the 14th Amendment 
familial association, specifically parental rights, or in this case, a father's rights. She stated that it is a liberty interest for parents to have the autonomy to raise their children and added that the state of Texas had no compelling interest to justify interference. Georgeless's lawyers have moved from the recusal uh, have have moved for the recusal of Judge Cooks because she mentioned the case on Facebook. Georgeless's decision to socially transition James, which means treating him as a girl as opposed to merely allowing him to dress like one, follows a new and experimental form of social psychological treatment for the mental condition known as gender dysphoria. Looking ahead, James's pediatrician indicated that James would have an evaluation at the Genesis Gender Clinic that he was clo- when he was closer to the age of eight or nine and would plan to see an endocrinologist in two to three years for hormone suppression. All Britain, the custody evaluator, noted in his report that the studies suggest that once an individual is launched on this medical pathway, the gender dysphoria is more likely to persist, especially in natal boys. The definition of gender dysphoria has long been in flux, beginning in the latter half of the 20th century. Adults, normally men, who experienced a strong desire to be the opposite sex or took measures to more closely resemble the opposite sex were known as transsexuals. Male-to-female transsexualism, especially as it related to sexuality and fetishes, was initially seen as more of a perversion, then a disorder. Now it's an identity, covered under a much larger umbrella term, transgenderism. Transsexual inclination in children, defined in the American Psychiatric Association Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders as Gender Identity Disorder in 1944, and now as gender dysphoria as of 2013, was rare and poorly understood, generally manifesting itself in the form of disassociation from one's sex in pre-pubertal children and discomfort with one's sexual development at puberty, especially among peers. Other than one Dutch study looking at pubertal suppression in adolescence that suggests puberty blocker hormones might contribute to the persistence of gender dysphoria, there are no studies or long-term follow-ups in which social transition prior to puberty has been clinically examined. But we do have a significant body of 11 papers that examine desistance, that is, children's growing out of such feelings. In children whose dysphoria began when they were between 3 and 12 years of age. And these children were followed up with at a later date. Despite the differences in country, culture, decade, and follow-up length and method, notes James Cantor, a Canadian psychologist with decades of clinical research experience in treating transsexuals, all the studies have come to a remarkably similar conclusion. Only very few trans kids still want to transition by the time they are adults. From these studies conducted prior to the cultural mainstreaming of gender identity theory, It consistently appears that 80% of gender-confused children psychologically realign with their biological sex by young adulthood, or sooner when supported through their natural puberty with non-invasive therapies such as watchful waiting. Realignment was, and among more cautious professionals still is, considered the ideal outcome, since it is obviously easier for a child to change his thinking than to try to change his sex. 
In the 1990s, the Dutch began to experiment with puberty blockers, which had originally been used to treat precocious early puberty for very extreme cases of childhood gender identity disorders. The idea was that an acutely gender-distressed child would benefit from gaining extra time to come to terms with his body before puberty brought additional distress. The researchers called this the pause button. But as the first step in the gender affirmation process, it amounts to more of a nuclear button. On the gender affirmation model, clinicians have put children as young as 12 on sterilizing cross-sex hormones, removed the healthy breasts of a girl as young as 13, and peeled and inverted the penises of boys as young as 15. Is it too much to wonder why? Humans are a sexually dimorphic species. Females produce eggs and bear offspring, while males produce sperm and impregnate females. The existence of disorders of sexual development or more imprecisely, the potentially offensive or uh, of intersex persons and the need for greater social understanding of them in no way collapses this distinction. In the 1950s, the relationship between the term sex and gender, the latter of which applied chiefly to grammar, began to change as sexologists coined the phrase gender identity to denote the sex that one believed one was. In the 1960s, to explore this concept, psychologist John Money conducted a twin study in which a male baby, Bruce Reimer, with a damaged penis was raised as a girl while his brother Brian was raised as a boy. Money instructed the parents to raise their children to believe that Bruce was really a, was really a girl called Brenda. For over a decade, the experiment was lauded as a milestone in sexology. To preserve the boy's anonymity, it was called the Joan-slash-John study. And its reported success was used as precedent for countless surgeries on children with disorders of sex development. But decades later, a follow-up revealed that the Reimer brothers had been deeply unhappy with their treatment by money, and Bruce had reverted to his male identity in his teens, taking the name David. After going public, David and his mother, whom he forgave, believing her to have been loving but misled, appeared on Oprah Winfrey's talk show in 2000. Miss Reimer quoted, During the whole journey of trying to create a feminine being, there were doubts along the way, but I couldn't afford to contemplate them because I couldn't afford to be wrong. I couldn't have faced the alternative. Oprah. And the alternative being what? That you'd made this horrible mistake? Miss Reimer said, yes. Oprah then said, because then what could you do? And Miss Reimer said, right. After a lifetime suffering from depression, the brothers, first Brian, then David, killed themselves. In a tragic update printed in a revised edition of As Nature Made Him, an investigative book on the Reimer story, John Calapinto recalls the moment when David's father called him to say that David had shot himself. I cannot say it was a complete surprise. As more journalists shared the true nature of money's experiment, and as more and more intersex victims of unnecessary medical interventions came forward, the medical profession revised its standards with regard to children with disorders of sex development, in particular those with genital irregularities, so as to leave these children's fully functioning bodies alone. But what about gender-confused children? 
Today, it takes a bold and distinguished person to state the obvious answer to that question. One such person is Dr. C. Allen Hopewell, the senior clinical neuropsychologist in the state of Texas, whose decades of expertise in treating children of James' age led Younger to engage him as an expert witness. At James's age, children, quote, can't make rational decisions, unquote, and are, quote, very easily influenced, end quote. Hopewell stated that in that in his September deposition for the trial, and also said that this settled science, quote, unquote, pioneered by psychologist Gene uh, Piaget, Piaget, is at the level of Galileo's statement of how the earth revolves around the sun. While a child can express preferences, do I want the M&M or do I want the mushroom? A seven-year-old is incapable of decisions of the magnitude of trying to change your sex, which at any rate, you can't do. George List testified that she felt justified in socially transitioning James into Luna by her own experience as a pediatrician, by researching the medical literature on the subject, and by the support she'd received online from similarly situated parents. In July, her lawyer, Kim Meters, made the following opening remarks at the hearing in a Texas district court. And here's the quote. This case is about a little six-year-old girl. It's a little girl who knows she's a girl. It's a girl who wears cute, frilly, girly clothes. She plays with super girly bears and dolls and toys. Her self-portraits of herself show herself with big, huge, ginormous eyelashes and hair down to the floor. And the father in this case wants boys. He has twins And the reality is Luna at birth was given the gender identity as a boy, but she completely and totally identifies as a girl now. But again, by all objective standards, and as acknowledged by the impartial court-appointed amicus attorney, it is clear that James Younger is not a girl but a boy. He is a little boy regardless of whether he knows he is a little boy. A little boy with a penis, which is referred to by George Liss herself in one email to Younger. This is the email. Luna has gotten a bug bite on the right side of her penis. Testes, a Y chromosome. He is a little boy regardless of how ginormous the eyelashes are in his self-portrait and irrespective of his wardrobe choices, however cute and frilly. Of course, the possibility exists that James is a little boy who fits the diagnostic criteria of gender dysphoria. On October 17th, observers in the courtroom reported seeing someone sitting by George Liss's attorneys, passing notes and advising counsel. She was Dr. Jonna Olson Kennedy, the medical director of the largest transgender youth clinic in the United States, one of four directors of a multi-million dollar National Institutes of Health, i.e. taxpayer-funded, experimental study on early intervention in transgender youth, and one of the most prominent clinical activists in the United States. It is difficult to say exactly how many transgender youth clinics there are in the United States today. In 2006, there were no But in 2014, the Human Rights Campaign, a gay and transgender lobby group, counted more than 40. It is possible, if not more, if not likely, that there are significantly more than that. Olson Kennedy's clinic in Los Angeles saw 80 young people aged between 4 and 24 in 2009 and over 1,000 
100,000 in 2019. The latter number comes from a Reuters report. By a crude estimate, then, there could be tens of thousands of young people being treated at such clinics. But we don't know. The Center for Disease Control says that 2% of American high school students, around 300,000 adolescents, identify as transgender. Does that mean gender dysphoria is on the rise? Not necessarily. One board-certified psychiatrist, a graduate of a top medical school with over 15 years' experience treating adolescents, told me that the numbers seem highly inflated. This is partly because gender clinics, like many specialist clinics, are essentially businesses with an interest in selling a uniform diagnosis. In his own practice, he prefers to talk big picture first and not take a child's declared gender identity at face value. If a patient comes in and tells me I'm having a strong desire to be the opposite sex, my next question is why? What does that mean? What's your understanding of being the opposite sex? Are you nervous about being your own sex? Do you have anxiety? He also considered whether his patients might be on the autism spectrum, which is disproportionately common among these with gender dysphoria. Often through talk therapy, something else comes out. For example, that a girl is petrified about her menstrual cycle or a boy about having homosexual inclinations and being bullied by his peers. The psychiatrist says the social anxiety is an underlying factor in most of these cases. In his deposition in the James Younger case, Dr. Hopewell stated that you're not going to cut off healthy body parts unless something wrong, something's wrong with your thinking. But Dr. Olson Kennedy, again, the head of the largest transgender youth clinic in the United States and one of the leaders of a publicly funded NIH study, took a rather different view in her own deposition. Younger's lawyer, Logan O'Daniel, asked Olson Kennedy whether it is safe or ethical to remove healthy breast tissue from adolescent girls as young as 13 and has been recommended at her clinic. And this is what the lawyer asked her. Well, if you remove the breasts from a young woman, she will never be able to lactate or breastfeed an infant. Is that correct? Olson Kennedy said, well, I don't advocate removal for breast tissue from young women. I advocate for chest reconstruction in young men. The lawyer said, well, haven't you referred girls to have the chest surgery from your clinic? They're, they're, they're not girls. They're not girls. They don't identify as girls. So I have referred people who identify as transmasculine or as boys or young men for surgery. Yes, the lawyer said, but do their birth certificates identify them as girls? Sometimes, and sometimes they have had their gender marker changed on their birth certificate. The lawyer said, how many patients have you referred for chest surgery? And Olson Kennedy said, probably about 200. So what I just read is the first 20% of one of the best articles that will probably get written this year by Madeline Kearns. It probably from a societal perspective is the most important article that will get written in 2019. And I'm very grateful for Madeline for writing this. You can go to the National Review, nationalreview.com. The headline is The Tragedy of the Trans Child. I thought about reading the entire thing, but honestly, that would take me an hour 
And I also do want you to go to National Review and read it there. I don't want to like give you the opportunity to just listen to the entire thing. For me, I'd rather them get the traffic because they put a lot of work into writing this story. There's, um, this isn't a game that we're in. These are real children's lives that we're playing with. We have some very confused people who likely are very wounded themselves and have decided to, instead of addressing those wounds in their life, take it out on our children. And it's happening in Texas. It's incredibly sad. I've got a two-year-old daughter, and if her mother and I and a doctor and a psychologist decided we wanted to convince her of something, we could convince her. And when I say something, I literally mean anything. I'm not sure that there's anything we couldn't convince her of. Because if adults in the room decide to conspire against a two or three or four or five-year-old child, they will win. And if the thing they're conspiring against the child for is an ideology that will destroy that child's life, that child will lose. I uh, read this article this morning and just decided to make it this week's podcast as opposed to uh, bringing you some other content that we planned on bringing you. I would really encourage you to go to the National Review. I'd really encourage you to look up the tragedy of the trans child. And I'd really encourage you to take an hour to read the entire article. God bless you. God bless Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messiah Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.